Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi everyone, Lucy Kippist here. I'm the editor of Flying Solo and this episode of our podcast is brought to you by Flying Solo's brand new business class membership. It's your annual pass to great deals, discounts, tips and wisdom for building the business of your dreams. Plus, you get the opportunity to be a guest on this podcast all for just $165. Head to our website for details. It's one thing to be an expert at your business, but quite another to get your head around everything you need to know when it comes to using the technology to support it, especially if you've decided to take the leap to create an app. If that's a project you're looking to tackle in the new future, then today's guest, Anthony Sapunzis, is the man to turn to. He's the co-founder of Arion Technologies, a business that helps other businesses bring their technology and app dreams to life. Welcome to Flying Solo, Anthony. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. As a bit of a Luddite myself, when it comes to understanding the nuances of technology and app development, I am really looking forward to our conversation You actually host your own podcast all about the technology space. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the types of guests you interview? Yeah, I'd love to, Lucy. So the Diverity podcast is a podcast where we're trying to share the startup journey, all the ups and downs and the mistakes that they've made, as well as the successes with other startups. So then those other startups can avoid making those mistakes and have a better path to success. Um, we, We don't only interview startups in that, podcast we try and get domain experts that can assist the listeners and provide information with them so they can have the best chances at success so it's a bit of a combination between a personal story and then practical tips and insights into how to actually do it yeah that's a great summary of it so yeah we have potentially every second episode will be an expert and then every other episode will be a startup sharing their journey what they've learned what they would have done different and then some key takeaways for someone else to then hopefully take away with them and develop their startup and make it successful. And what what do you find um, the most interesting thing about being able to host a podcast? I think it's being able to chat with the founders and understand their story and then share with them that they're not the only ones going through through the same problems as all the other startups because they seem tend to all think they're, they have unique problems, but they're pretty much the same with everyone. So once we share that with them, they understand that it's something that they can address and they can get help with or they can get assistance with. And then also learning about their successes and how they would, how they approach things along the way is, has been great. Oh yeah. I was going to ask you if you'd, if you'd noticed a theme or a common experience across the stories that the founders are sharing with you though, obviously everybody has a sort of similar trajectory, I imagine, but is there a, a similarity in terms of why they decided to start their, their startup? I think a lot of them have, well, there's probably there's two reasons sort of the startups start what they do. They either have a great idea and try and build something in that space or they're like domain experts. They've been in the industry for a certain amount of time. They've got the knowledge and they're trying to branch out and go on their own. But both of those don't, um, converge into a similar point where they try and launch their idea off the ground, but they seem to do the certain things wrong. All of them seem to do the same sort of mistakes along the way. 
they either get in over their head or they think that the problems are unique to them so they can't get help from other people because no one understands their unique situation. So your own business um, hits two really important nails on the head given that as business owners, we're always looking for ways to save money um, and then improve the efficiency and service that our business offers. I wanted to give some perspective on the type of person that your clientele is um, and the type of money we're talking about. So last year you helped around five small business owners who'd wasted more than a million dollars in software development due to bad decisions or bad advice. Um, can you take us through a few steps in the investigation process when you first start talking to a new client? What are you looking, what are you asking them at that point? Yeah, so when a first client comes on board, we have, we, we effectively run a series of workshops and that first workshop is really diving in to their, their mindset, their problem, what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve, what the idea is. So we don't just try and take a quick like 15 minute phone call with the client. We'll spend a couple of hours with you and work through and investigate and just discuss all the options and possibilities with the idea. Then from that, after that workshop, we move into what we call the dev ready process that we've learned over our 12 years of consulting in software development space. So we then go through the, uh, a series of workshops where we identify the product, what it should be, what the outcomes are, who the target customers and try and um, remove as much risk out of the process as possible. So we try to uncover any sticking points early on in the process and be extremely agile upfront in this consulting process and under to understand everything. And then we can have a more structured development flow in the future. And then after every release, you can then pivot back based on what you've learned and those assumptions you made. But we're trying to, we try to remove as many assumptions as possible during the development phase and try and uncover all of that early on in the process. So it's a lot of discussing what, do you, what apps are similar to your idea why are you going down this path and just continually asking like the five whys and trying to understand what the root problem is, not the symptom of what they're trying to actually solve. Mm. And then we've even had clients where after that first workshop, we've told them you don't need to develop software and spend $200,000 and go that you could do it off shelf product or your actual problem is a symptom that you're, you're identifying and you haven't actually identified the root problem. So go back and sort that out again. So it's really just trying to make it as clear as possible. We say clarity is key. And that's what we believe. So you've said there that you, um, the investigation process is sort of, you know, addressing those five whys. Do you find that people who are your clients coming to you find that a difficult headspace to get into? Do they find it kind of challenging to be able to answer those questions? Or is that sometimes something they have thought about themselves? Um, we get a spectrum of both releases. Some that have just have an idea and effectively drawn it on a napkin and then come to us and just try and blurt out the idea and hopefully get something from it and those ones are it's, it's a bit challenging to try and understand why why you're doing this all right what's the reason for that and then diving in further and further but then we've got other clients that have come to us and they've got a business plan a proposal they've planned it out they've developed a prototype sometimes so they've already identified who their key targets are what the problems are what they're actually delivering so we, we get a mixture in between but we do get challenges where it's just an idea off out of nowhere and then we have to try and help them develop that into something or it's a an idea that has been um, thought about and constructed in a way where they know how to move forward and they've got a business idea in mind already rather than trying to make a business from the idea, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, have you seen a spike in interest in business owners wanting to create apps over the past year and particularly, I guess, over the last six months when we've been hit by COVID? Is that forcing people to sort of think outside the square a bit more in terms of their business ideas? Um, I think it's the, the COVID situation is 
sort of change the way businesses are thinking. So they know everything can be done remotely now. They don't have to be face-to-face. But I haven't seen an increase in apps. It's not, we try to tell people you don't need an app. You don't build an app for the sake of building one. So it's only if your business really requires one that you should then build the app. But we've seen, we haven't seen a slowdown in the type of projects that are coming through or developments for business tools, not necessarily apps per se. But it does change the conversations that we're having. Can you tell us a bit about one of your more favorite or the the quirkier projects that you've worked on? Um, yeah, so it's one of our my my favorite projects that we've ever worked on. It was probably one of the ones we did in the first couple of years of um, Aaron Technologies. So, at the when we first started our business, we were developing software for um, the Victorian Space Science Education Centre, which is called um, VSEC. They're based in Strathmore in Victoria. And they're a specialty education center. I think there's about six of them around Victoria and they focus on space science. So when I was at university, I was an intern over a summer project for them and I developed a project. And when we started Arion, we ended up getting involved with them and being their software partner when we first started. And we were developing um, educational simulation software for uh, students to pretend they were doing like a mission to Mars or monitoring astronauts. So there'd be six or 12 screens set up and they'd be monitoring the vitals of astronauts. And then after two similar projects of that, they had an idea where they would develop a Mars rover um, based product. So they had Sydney University um, Center for Field Robotics develop a scale replica of the Mars rover that was launching in 2000 and was it 10 or 12? I think it was the spirit or the opportunity, one of those. And then they have a room that's probably about 20 meters by five meters in a, in a, in a, like a blow up dome with red lights, red sand and rocks. And this rover would be placed on the surface and be driven around the surface, collecting like simulating, simulating the collection of soil samples and things like that. So then we developed an interface to be able to track the rover from an overhead camera, um, move it around that area through a pathfinding algorithm and then develop the 12 mission control screens like NASA would have for all the students where there'd be a chemistry student saying, I want to go and look at this specific area of a map. And then the mission control would then allow that to go through. Then they'd simulate that and then get all the results on the screen and make an interactive game for the students. Wow. So I can imagine a, a project like that makes makes the work that you do um, incredibly satisfying at that point. Yeah. It, it, it's very satisfying seeing the results of a project like that and then seeing how the students um, are enjoying it and interacting with it. And from that is that enjoyment is what we like to see on a day-to-day basis. So when we develop software and we see it languishing in the business or it's not being done properly, we feel disheartened about that. So we know we can deliver a technical solution that works well, but when a business doesn't see the uptake or the return that they need, which was something we used to see more in our early days where we wouldn't go through the, our, that consult, consulting process and dive through and understand why they're developing the software. So they would be developing software for the wrong reasons or not getting the right stakeholders involved. And then we'd see things languished. And because we write code, that's what software is. Um, you don't really see anything. It's not something that you can, it's not tangible. It's not something you can see in your hands. So if you don't see users or the stats coming through, you know it's not being used. So we changed our process so then we can try and help the clients identify why they're develop, developing the software so then it can actually get that usage that it needs and they can get the results that they want. Just in, just to backpedal a little bit, um, what do you think is the most common mistake when, when we are small business owners in our approach to technology? Is there something that we're all doing wrong? Is that too broad a question? Uh, I'll probably narrow it down. So if you're looking to building your own technology, 
one of the mistakes, one of the key mistakes that um, small businesses make is trying to go for the cheapest developer. Mm. So in that scenario, we've seen a lot of problems where whether it's overseas or even in Australia, the cheapest developer is not necessarily the best. Is generally we find it's um, you get what you pay for, and that rings true with software. So the cheapest ones will take on everything on board, say yes, and just try and deliver based on what you tell them rather than them working with you as a team and trying to deliver the right software for the right needs. Mm -hmm. That's generally where it is. And and one of the other key mistakes is probably diving into the development too quickly. So a lot of businesses will get an idea and think, all right, we have to do this straight away. And they just jump in next day and start working on whatever their idea was and trying to find the team, just get something rolling off the ground. But you really need to take that time upfront to identify why you're building that software, who's actually going to target, what value is it going to give them before you even look at diving into the software. Because unless that's right, the software is not going to deliver what it needs. It's like building a house. Unless those foundations and those architectural drawings are done correctly at the start, what you plan to do in the future isn't going to fit. And you might build, be building in that scenario the wrong house for the wrong type, type of person. So you might be building a triple-story house for a, an 80-year-old married couple, which aren't going to go up and down stairs, for example. Mm-hmm. And so once your clients have, you know, been successful in, in choosing their technology and you've worked with them and their software, sorry, um, do you help them then stay on top of the changes that come across that, you know, because obviously technology is constantly evolving and for someone who isn't naturally um, inclined to understand it, it can be quite confusing. How do you encourage your customers to stay on top of the changes? Yeah, so we uh, work with our clients and try and become a partner rather than just a firm that develops software for them. So we try and support them, not just during the development, but after we've, we have the standard maintenance and support that we offer, but we also have constant communication and we share ideas with the clients when we find that new technology that might fit them or is suitable for their product. So a couple of years ago, we helped a business develop an online kiosk solution using a, a technology that would detect hand gestures. So they want to have a, like a touchless kiosk, which will probably be very useful right now during a current situation. You don't want to be touching things. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, so that one, we, they, they wanted an idea for a kiosk and then we saw this technology and they were like, yep, that sounds perfect because then we can get people without touching things and make a nicer shop display out of it. So we, we, we have a passion for technology and we're constantly looking and researching and understanding things because that's what we love to do. Then we get our ideas and we can present them to clients. And we also have clients who ask us to do a bit of research on some certain fields and understand, can this new, very new technology be applied or how could we do something like this? And then we'll find the right things and build, bring it together for mm-hmm. them. Or sometimes we might even tell them it's not possible yet. The technology is too early. Yeah. Does that happen very often? Yeah. Some people have some very complex ideas and it's just, it's just way too early to do something. So there's been some systems where maybe six, seven years ago, it was too hard to do. And then Microsoft or Amazon has brought out some service which lets them do something with like all, um, image recognition or text, text-to-speech and text recognition software. So building a library to model text recognition from voice is something that was complex 10 years ago. And you had to have a lot of like training data. But now Microsoft and Amazon and Google have because of the, the scale they're at, they're able to collect all this data from their users and provide that as a service to you. So now it's something that would have cost I don't know, maybe three, four $400,000 and had a research team behind it. It's something that you can pay $22 a month for and have live transcriptions of voice in, coming into your email. Yeah, wow. Yeah, things change so fast. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing and it's hard to keep up with sometimes. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> um, you mentioned a bit earlier that 
your business hasn't necessarily slowed down that much since COVID, which is fantastic news. I wondered if though you'd noticed any change in terms of what the types of services your clients are requesting from you or in terms of their own behavior has anything changed yeah um we've definitely seen a shift in the some of the client projects and we've gone from civil engineering projects which have slowed right down to more projects coming in through like the pharmacy side and those pharmacy sides are bringing retail online so they're shifting with the way that people are trying to do their shopping at the moment but then we have startups that are bringing their new products to us and we're trying to bring them off the ground and then they're trying to capitalize and try and get the release of their product ready for when everyone's out in the open again and trying to capitalize on that usage so there's definitely been a shift with sort of more remote access uh, rather than the the Mm face-to-face which is what i'm guessing most people have seen in this this time yes definitely and with a business like yours, Anthony, how do you find that most of your customers, your new customers find you? Is it, is it a word of mouth thing for you guys? Yeah, we're still probably 90% word of mouth and networking. Um, it's, yeah, once someone works with us, they generally like to refer us along to other people, but it's a lot of networking and mouth to mouth. We do have started like an advertising push and trying to build out that way in marketing, but that's a bit hard. And we've always said it's very hard for someone to come to us and after finding us in like a Google search or yellow pages and just try and bring a project to us straight away. Our relationship has to be developed and we have to, you want to, you have to be able to have a good working relationship with a client and they have to have a good relationship with you. Otherwise it won't work. So I guess in the initial stages of building your business, that might've been not necessarily frustrating, but a slower part of the building up of your business. Oh, definitely. It was quite it was a slow, slow start and trying to build that network client by client and just eventually grows. Mm-hmm. So we can trace most clients all the way down through a tree back up to a handful of people wow. and then they've just grown from there. That's great. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights into your business. And would you like to do a little bit of a plug for your own podcast here? So everybody that's interested can go and have a listen. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for that, Lucy. So the Dev Ready podcast, it's available on Spotify, iTunes. We even publish some videos on YouTube. Um, if you if you go to devready.academy, you'll find the the um, podcast page there with all the episodes as well as some more information about why we started the podcast and what we're trying to do with it and then you can also visit arion.com.au for our software development and consulting business and we're available on linkedin at any time if anyone ever wants to reach out great thank you so much anthony well thanks lucy it's been a great chat